Welcome back to the Helio Hormones Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle. We are finally in October, my favorite month. I love this month for many reasons. One of them being fall is my favorite season by far. I also am a huge Halloween person. Like I decorate for Halloween the second week of September and my place just decked out in skeletons. But I also love October because it's kind of that final month before the craziness of the holidays. I feel like at least in my mind, Halloween kind of kicks off the the holiday craziness with, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. So this month is really a great time to kind of recenter yourself, maybe get back on some routines that maybe were forgotten about during the summer and just kind of best prepare both your body and your mind as we head into the holiday season. So today's episode was requested. The topic was requested by a listener, and we are going to be discussing endometriosis-related pelvic pain. Why does it happen and what to do about it? Now, I often hear from women with PCOS that they will say their primary concern is pain with their period, and that's actually not typical with PCOS. So PCOS, yes, there are many period problems that come along with it, but PCOS is usually more focused on absent periods or irregular periods. We can see heavy painful periods with PCOS, but when that's your primary concern, we need to start thinking, is this just PCOS or is this something else? So if you are unfamiliar with endometriosis, this is when the tissue that is lining the uterus, which is called the endometrial tissue, it should only be growing inside the uterus this tissue starts to travel through the walls of the uterus and starts to grow elsewhere in the body. So we have this endometrial tissue that is growing where it shouldn't, and it starts to attach to other areas of the body. So it might attach to our digestive tract to our intestines. It might attach to our bladder, to our muscles. And what happens is this tissue travels. It kind of sets up shop within our, our, our abdomen And this tissue can swell and bleed as our hormones change throughout our cycle. So what happens when tissue starts to break down in our uterus is when we get our period and that blood is eliminated from our body. But what happens when this tissue is kind of trapped elsewhere in the body? It doesn't have anywhere to go. So then we're going to start to see this scar tissue forming. And initially it may not be an issue, but if this is happening cycle after cycle after cycle, you're going to be building up more and more scar tissue. And that is going to lead to more pain as these, um, endometrial kind of deposits continue to swell and bleed and cause more scar tissue. Now, endometriosis is hereditary, meaning if your mom, your grandma, your aunt, your sister has endometriosis, you are more likely to have it as well. And PCOS, you know, a lot of times our parents or our mothers may have had symptoms of PCOS, but never been diagnosed because diagnosis wasn't as common 20, 30 years ago, but with endometriosis, that is a little bit more well-known. So there is a higher chance that perhaps your mom does know she had it. Maybe she struggled with painful, heavy periods herself. Maybe she got a hysterectomy because of it, which we'll talk about. But it is something to keep on your radar. If you're somebody who experiences heavy, painful periods and you have a family history of endometriosis, there's a good chance that is potentially the reason why you're having this this pain. 
And really the primary sign of endometriosis is pelvic pain. And this can look different for different people. So yes, that might mean pain with your period. That's kind of like the most common, but it can also be dependent on where that tissue has attached to. So if that tissue has attached to your intestines, we may see pain with bowel movements. If it has attached to your bladder, we may see pain with urination. We can also see pain with sex and just random pelvic pain that doesn't really seem to be associated with anything at all. Heavy periods are also common endometriosis. And that's because oftentimes with endo, we'll see high estrogen levels. If we have high estrogen, that estrogen is going to cause the endometrial tissue lining the uterus to grow a little bit thicker than it normally would if estrogen levels weren't elevated. So typically the two primary signs of endometriosis is pelvic pain to some capacity and heavy periods. And, you know, if you're somebody who's have, has had heavy periods your whole life, you may not understand that that's abnormal or vice versa. You know, sometimes if, you know, women were on the pill or on the IUD and their periods were really light or absent, then they come off of it. They may feel like, oh my gosh, four days of full bleeding. That is really heavy. But in reality, a normal period lasts from three to five days, maybe upwards of seven, but by seven, we should start to be seeing a lighter flow. And during that time on your heaviest day, you should not be changing a tampon or a pad more frequently than every two hours. So if you're soaking through a tampon every hour, every hour and a half, then that's a good sign that you do have heavy periods. Now, unfortunately with endometriosis, the only way to confirm a diagnosis is through what's called a laparoscopic surgery. Um, so essentially what happens is a small camera is inserted into the abdomen and they kind of search around looking for those adhesions to confirm, okay, yes, you do have endometriosis. That tissue is growing outside of your uterus. Now, you know, why go through a process like that if for me as, as a naturopathic doctor, when I have clients come to me and we suspect endometriosis, I don't feel like I need to have a definitive diagnosis. If they're coming to me with heavy, painful periods, we're going to be doing some hormone testing to look at their estrogen levels. We're going to look at their inflammatory markers. You might look at their gut health as well. And we're going to use that information to treat them. So I don't think that, you know, having that definitive diagnosis is required in order to treat yourself or see improvement with your symptoms. But I understand for some people, they just want that peace of mind of knowing like, okay, yes, that is for sure what it is. Now people often ask, you know, what is causing my endometriosis? And it's not fully understood, but we do see higher estrogen levels with those with endometriosis. So that's where something like the Dutch test comes in handy because the Dutch test looks at all three types of estrogen versus a blood test that is typically going to look at just one type. And it not only looks at what are the levels of those estrogens, but how is your body breaking it down? And when we break down estrogen, it goes through three kind of pathways and one pathway in particular if your body is favoring that pathway, that type of estrogen can worsen endometriosis symptoms. And sometimes that's based on genetics, but there are things that we can do through diet and supplements to kind of turn those genes off. So you're not making as much of that problematic estrogen. So that's one thing that we would test for. 
Also doing something like a GI map test, which is a comprehensive stool test to look for an enzyme called beta glucuronidase can be really helpful because this enzyme actually reactivates estrogen, meaning when we go to eliminate estrogen from our body, our liver sends the estrogen into our gut. And ideally we should have a bowel movement and that estrogen should go with it. But when we have high levels of this enzyme beta glucuronidase, and essentially allows our body to reabsorb that estrogen. So for my clients with endometriosis and really bad GI symptoms, this is often a good option because it's not only going to look at that enzyme, but it's also going to look at the immunity in your gut too, which is going to play a role with endometriosis. Now, other signs of high estrogen would include things like weight gain, mood swings, low libido, hair loss, low energy, insomnia, and breast tenderness. So if you're somebody with heavy, painful periods or just pelvic pain in general, and you have these other signs, it would be worth looking into testing your estrogen levels. Along with high estrogen, we also see higher inflammation with endometriosis. I mean, imagine, you know, you have this tissue that's kind of setting up a home in places it shouldn't, and then it's causing inflammation. It's causing swelling and scar tissue. So your immune system is going to be responding to that. And in doing so, we're going to see more inflammation in the body. So two things I will test with my clients. One is called CRP, which is a kind of general marker for inflammation in the body. And then the other, like I mentioned before, is that GI map test, so that stool test that really looks at the immunity and inflammation in the gut. And when we think of inflammation, some other signs you may see are things like fatigue, weight gain, joint pain is a big one, and headaches. So really the primary things I'm focused on when it comes to that endometriosis related pelvic pain is where your estrogen levels at and what do we need to do to get them into a good range and what is causing inflammation in your body and how do we address it? So when we think of how to heal endometriosis related pelvic pain, the Dutch test is, you know, really helpful to identify why estrogen is high. It can be coming from a few places. So for example, on the Dutch test, we look at the adrenal glands, which are our stress glands and the adrenal glands make a hormone called DHEA. This hormone is converted into other sex hormones, including estrogen. So on the Dutch test, we can see, okay, are the adrenal glands stressed? Are they overactive? Are they making too much DHEA? And then that's being converted into too much estrogen. Because if that's the case, then we know we need to focus on supporting the adrenal gland, supporting our stress response, making sure we're eating, you know, meals that really support the adrenals in order to bring that estrogen down. We can also see, you know, our estrogen levels just high as a baseline, whether that's because the ovaries are overproducing estrogen or the adrenal glands are, or is it high because your body's not able to break it down? So on the Dutch test, we look at the steps that are involved with estrogen breakdown. There's three steps. The first two happen in the liver. And we look at that on the Dutch test. The third happens in the gut. Typically, if you're not having major GI symptoms and you're having a bowel movement every day, it's pretty safe to say that we're eliminating estrogen well from our digestive tract. It's also important to consider, you know, are you getting estrogen from outside sources? So an example of this would be our household cleaners or beauty products that have chemicals in them that mimic estrogen. And these are called xenoestrogens. 
but these can essentially enter our body through our skin and will kind of mimic estrogen in the body and play a similar, similar role. We also want to consider birth control because that does contain estrogen. Typically the pill does. So you want to consider, you know, have you been on the pill for a while? And are you just kind of adding to this estrogen dominance picture by being on it? And then the third is thinking of your food sources. So like animals who have been fed hormones in order to grow larger and produce more meat. If we then eat that meat, we will be consuming those hormones as well. So when we think of, okay, how do we want to lower estrogen if that is a concern, which with endometriosis, it typically is. There are a few things diet-wise that we can do. And one simple start is by adding in ground flax seeds into your diet. So flax seeds, when you buy them at the store, you can either find them as whole seeds or ground seeds. I typically recommend either getting the whole seeds and grinding them in a coffee grinder and then keeping them in the fridge. Or if you hear that and you're like, there's no way I'm going to do that, then just buy them ground, but make sure you're keeping them in the fridge. They're not going rancid. Now, flax seeds help to bind up extra estrogen in our gut and eliminate it through our stool. But because flax seeds are really high in fiber, you may want to slowly kind of work into this. So maybe you start with one tablespoon of flax seeds daily, and then after a week or two, you increase to two tablespoons. Another food group that can help with estrogen is cruciferous vegetables. So foods like broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, mustard greens, arugula, these foods contain a compound called DIM, D-I-M, that help to break down estrogen. So ideally you want to aim for one to two cups of these per day. And I mentioned before, you know, we, we really want to focus on hormone-free meats, hormone-free dairy products, because that's going to be an external source of estrogen that is also going to potentially disrupt our own levels. Because we eliminate estrogen through our bowel movements, we want to make sure we're having a bowel movement every day. And if you're not, that is going to be a key piece in healing your endometriosis. So super simple. I struggle with it a ton, but you want to make sure that you are hydrating well, and then also eating those high fiber foods like apples, pears, oats, brown rice, lentils, broccoli, berries, all the good stuff. So you're having a bowel movement every day. Last thing I'll touch on in terms of estrogen is alcohol. So because when we drink alcohol, you know, that puts a load on our liver. Our liver is having to process that because essentially it is a toxin to the body. So our liver is trying to break down the alcohol so it can kind of get rid of it as fast as possible. And when that happens, the other roles of the liver kind of get put on the back burner. So if you're drinking consistently, your estrogen levels are more likely to be high because your liver is not able to break it down as efficiently. So as much as you can, minimal alcohol, no alcohol potentially um, is going to make a difference when it comes to endometriosis. Now, I know I don't share a ton about supplements on the podcast because everyone is so individual and you may not react, you know, the way we expect you to do a supplement because your body is different. But I do want to share a couple on today's episode and one in particular called DIM. DIM. So this is the compound that is found in cruciferous veggies, but you can also take it in supplement form. And again, this is going to help to break down excess estrogen and it sends it down a path that's considered to be the good pathway. 
It's not the pathway that causes endometriosis to grow more. So for some people with really high estrogen, we might need to do DIM for three to six months while we also work on the diet and the lifestyle pieces in order to get estrogen back to baseline. And then once you're there, we may potentially talk about getting you off of that supplement and just maintaining it through diet and lifestyle. We also want to consider liver support. So again, estrogen is broken down in the liver. So supporting the liver is going to be really, really important. There's so many great herbs to do this. One of them being milk thistle. That is a really common one. And then also dandelion root. Those are probably my top two. And I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me mention this before, but there's a really great coffee alternative called dandy blend that is made out of dandelion root. So if you are somebody who maybe you're trying to get away from coffee, whether that you know makes your digestive symptoms worse or your anxiety worse or your sleep worse, if I had to choose a replacement for anyone with endometriosis-related pelvic pain, it would be Dandy Blend. So those are kind of some key tips for lowering estrogen. And then we also want to think about how can we lower inflammation? Number one is going to be identify inflammatory triggers. And sometimes that can be food. So the most common inflammatory triggers are sugar, that's no surprise, dairy, and gluten. And that doesn't mean that you have to eliminate them all together, all at the same time, forever, but maybe playing around with one versus the other. You know, if you're somebody who's like, I love cheese, I have it with every meal, maybe cutting back a bit and seeing how that affects your symptoms. When it comes to inflammation, minimal alcohol is also going to be important. We know that alcohol increases inflammation in the body. And overall, you want to be shopping the perimeter of the store. So we want to be loading our plates with vegetables, fruits, nice organic meats, eggs. We want to use the high fiber foods like brown rice, quinoa, oats, but really trying to avoid processed foods as those are going to increase inflammation in the body as well. And then when it comes to supplements, one of my go-tos for reducing inflammation is fish oil, but quality is going to be really, really important. So I would rather have somebody not take a fish oil than take a fish oil from say, you know, like Walmart or Costco, where we don't really know the quality of the fish oil or potentially how it was stored and potentially it's gone rancid. So my go-to company, one of them, I have a few that I like is Nordic Naturals. Um, they're super common. I think you can also even find them at whole foods. Um, but that's usually my go-to with clients. Some others that you can be used both in cooking or tea form or supplement form are turmeric and ginger, both also great for lowering inflammation. Now, those are some tips to think about, okay, how do we address the root cause of the endometriosis? But sometimes we also need some things in our pocket to just get us through those symptoms while we're waiting for that change to happen. So two supplements I really like, especially when you're on your period, having that active pain, one is magnesium glycinate. So this is really great for reducing period cramps. It has many other benefits to it as well, including improved anxiety, improved sleep, improved ovulation, improved blood sugar, like the list goes on. And if you're taking the right type of magnesium, and again, I recommend magnesium glycinate to my clients when it comes to pain with their period, but if you're taking the right type of magnesium, it shouldn't have many side effects. So the, the one I see people most often reach for is a supplement called calm, which is magnesium citrate. And that's great if you're constipated, but if you're not constipated and you take that, you're going to kind of run in the other direction. You're going to have loose stools. 
So you want to make sure you're taking the right magnesium and the right dose for your body. And then the other is a supplement called cramp bark. And this I typically recommend in tincture form to my clients, which is a liquid form. It's more easily absorbed. And this is really something that you take in the moment to help relieve pain. And this is something that we kind of use to track a client's progress with their period, because maybe the first month they use it, they're like, oh my gosh, I had to take it, you know, four times that day to help with pain. And then two months later, they're like, you know, I only had to take it once a day for the pain. And then four months later, like, you know, I took it day one and that was it. Um, so that's kind of our indicator, like, okay, things are moving in the right direction. And the goal is to get them to that point where you're like, you know what, I don't need the cramp bark anymore. But in that kind of process, we want to keep them as comfortable as possible. So that's what the magnesium and cramp bark are there to do. Now, last thing I want to mention is castor oil packs. And if you are new to castor oil, it is a plant, an oil made from a plant, and it helps to increase blood flow and lymph flow and reduce inflammation. So the way you do a castor oil pack is you take castor oil, a small amount, maybe a quarter cent size amount, and you spread it from right underneath your breast line all the way down to your hip bones. You cover your whole abdomen. Then you put on a t-shirt that you don't mind staining because it is an oil. And then you put a heating pad on to help really like soak that oil in. And I honestly recommend I'll do this most nights that I'm home watching TV as a way to kind of unwind, but especially that week leading up to your period to kind of prepare for that pelvic pain during your period. Or if you're somebody who has pelvic pain all the time, regardless, then I would do it consistently as well. I don't typically recommend using a heating pad when you're actively bleeding, especially if you have a heavy period as that can increase bleeding, but you can at least do the castor oil and then put your t-shirt on and just let that castor oil soak in on its own. I don't wipe it off or anything. I just go to bed with it on. So those are kind of my tips in terms of addressing endometriosis related pelvic pain. One other key piece in treatment, I think is pelvic physical therapy. I think that can be a huge game changer. And I will often have clients sent to me from pelvic PTs who, you know, recognize, okay, we can only do so much work with this. You also need to layer in the diet and the supplement support as well, but then vice versa. If I have an endometriosis client come to me and they aren't seeing pelvic PT, you know, I kind of inform them that would also be a missing piece in your treatment. And it's important to have both on board, especially if you have symptoms like the pain with bowel movements or pain with urination. All right. That is all I have for you today. I hope that was helpful. If you are struggling with heavy painful periods, I promise you there is a way out of it. I mean, I have seen it all. I have heard from the clients who are like, I am in debilitating pain, curled up, in bed, cannot function, cannot work. I know that it, when you're in that space, it can feel impossible to get to the other side, but I have seen it happen. So I know it's possible. And what I hate to see is, you know, oftentimes women, especially if maybe you have already had kids, you know, maybe you're 38 or in your early forties and you've already had kids you know, I, I see doctors pushing hysterectomies of just like, oh, if your uterus is causing you problems, just remove it. But there are, you know, there are reasons to keep the organs that you were born with. And I think there is a, there's a, there's a gap in between just experiencing heavy, painful periods and not really knowing what to do about it. And then hysterectomies, which is a pretty, you know, it's, that's an invasive procedure. There is so much in between that can be done. 
Now that's not to say that getting a hysterectomy is the wrong choice for everyone. For some people, it absolutely is necessary, but I think it's important to walk through those steps in between. So that way, when you do get to that point, you are fully confident. And when you do have a hysterectomy, you can say, you know, I, I know my body did what it could with all the information and all the changes I did. But unfortunately this is just, you know, where we're at right now, but I know after this procedure, I'm going to feel better, but I think that you can have more peace of mind with it. If you walk through those steps and oftentimes going through that process will allow you to not have a hysterectomy. All right. That is all I have for you today. As always, please review the podcast, share it with a friend or a family member. It is the best way to support me, support what I'm doing, support what I'm sharing and support the podcast. So I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you on Friday for our Friday chats episode.